It's Monday, February 11th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Another huge week in the political world is upon us. The ongoing crisis in Virginia continues as the top three elected officials face calls to resign amid scandals of wearing blackface and sexual assault. Fears of another government shutdown have grown as efforts to make any type of compromise have stalled again over immigration enforcement. Finally, the race for the Democratic presidential nomination is growing as Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar have entered the race. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, breaks it all down for us. Next, as relatively inexpensive genetic testing is all over the place, we are getting a chance to learn a little bit more about our best friends. You can now do genetic testing for your dogs, and it works much like the ones for humans. Swab the mouth, send it in, and get your results. There are a number of different companies offering services, each with a different focus, different results, and varying costs. Sarah Fallon at Wired tested her dog with three different companies. She joins us to talk about the results and which might be the best for you and your pup. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Did you ever think about resigning when the drumbeat became so loud? And by the way, they're still beating for you to step down. I don't live in a vacuum. And so, yes, I, I have heard it and I'm not going anywhere. I have learned from this. I have a lot more to learn. I've had, this has been a difficult week. And again, I, I'm fine. It's been mainly difficult for Virginia and this country. So yes, I have thought about resigning, but, but I've also thought about what Virginia needs right now. And I, I really think that I'm in a position where, where I can take Virginia to the next level. And Joining it- us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. There's three big stories that are going on throughout this next coming week. The first one, we're going to start off in Virginia. It's been ongoing problem there. The chaos and the controversies are all over the place. The top three elected officials, all Democrats, are facing calls for resignation. It's getting pretty bad there. The governor, Ralph Northam, picture surfaced of him wearing blackface. The lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, faces calls of uh, sexual assault. Two women now have accused him. And the Attorney General, Mark Herring, also admitted to wearing blackface. Things are just going crazy there. The governor just did an interview, said he's not going to resign. What is going on there? And is there any hope of them coming out of this? Well, speaking to you from the state of Virginia, I have no idea what's going to happen. This has been one of the most bizarre modern political scandals. The governor appeared to have been in a photo in his yearbook page that included blackface. However, he has insisted that it is not him in the photo, but did admit to one time putting black shoe polish on his face to participate in a talent show as Michael Jackson. Oh my God. That um, press that has, press conference when they asked him, do you, can you still uh, moonwalk? And he almost answered it. That was ridiculous. It was pretty ridiculous. Just when we all thought that he couldn't last another day in the governor's office and surely would resign, it was revealed that his lieutenant governor had been accused of sexual assault, has then subsequently been accused again. And then just for good measure, the attorney general, the third in line, comes out and says, oh, I also wore blackface one time time in the 1980s at a college party. So a very bizarre turn of events. At this point, it looks like the governor is going to remain in office. He says this was a bad decision he made in the 80s, that it does not preclude him from serving the state, and that now he's going to make the issues of race focal to his time in office. There's some very interesting things going on here. The Attorney General, Mark Herring, doesn't really seem to be a focus of any of this. The lieutenant governor is facing a lot more calls to resign now, now that a second woman has accused him. 
And you're right. The governor uh, seems to be working his way out of this. He did an interview with Gail King from CBS. She even admitted he's obviously doing damage control, but his apology seems sincere. He does seem like he wants to move on. And that's kind of the sense that people have. There was a poll just done this past week where it's divided evenly. 47% think he should stay. 47% of Virginians think he should go. But black voters there, black Virginians still support him more than white people. They, they say 58% said that he should remain in office. So who knows? I mean, he's getting enough support to maybe pull through this. And I think that the real distinction here between him and Lieutenant Governor Fairfax that he keeps making is that this was not a crime. It was a moment of bad judgment in his youth in the 1980s. This is something that happened before I was alive. And that by comparison, the accusations against Fairfax, if they true proved to be true, were things that happened recently in the last decade or two. So for that reason, I think there is a bit of a difference and were a crime if they are true, that the two are being viewed differently by voters and by other politicians here in, in Virginia. The other big story is that of the looming government shutdown again, uh, possible. We can still pull through. <laughs> the next big thing is that the two sides are trying to compromise. It seems like everybody's agreeing to throw less money towards the wall, but now there's a hangup on immigration enforcement. Democrats want to cap the number of beds with which ICE can detain unauthorized immigrants, and Republicans don't want to stick with that number. And it's a weird thing to hang your hat on. It seems like it just opens up the Democrats for being easy on crime because a lot of it has to do with violent immigrant criminals. We are in the weeds of a negotiation in which something that most people wouldn't have previously paid attention to, the number of ICE detention beds, where those detention beds are located, how they're using those beds, seems to have become a sticking point. At least it is early in the week when this is happening, before the funding runs out at the end of the week. That means there might be time to come to some type of agreement beforehand. But this is a, a worrying sign for anyone who was hoping the government would be open uh, a week from now. The other thing we're going to be hearing a lot about this week is the Democratic field for the presidential nomination. There's a ton of people in there. We just had two over the weekend, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar throw their hat in there. With Amy Klobuchar jumping in, she's now the fifth woman currently serving in Congress to announce her candidacy. That's a lot of women in that field. That's pretty good. That is a tremendous and unprecedented number of women running for president. We have never in America seen something like this after the Democrats nominated a woman the last time who ultimately didn't win. It seems to have encouraged a lot of women to toss their hats in. Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota who launched in a snowstorm. Oh my God, I was looking at those pictures. Talking in her big line about she has grit. I think that that's gonna, at least grit to get through the snow is going to come through. Amy Klobuchar has an interesting career that she's set up there in the Senate. Instead of being on, you know, the far left of issues, like some of them, uh, some of the other candidates uh, focusing on big divisive issues like immigration and things like that, she's been focusing on other stuff, curbing the cost of prescription drugs, addressing sexual harassment, online privacy. She's kind of uh, has a reputation for working well with others. So she is an interesting addition, whereas Senator Warren, she is far left. She does have this issue going on with all this uh, saying that she was a Native American Indian. She took these DNA tests. You know, she has this other type of baggage that uh, maybe Amy Klobuchar doesn't. That's right. Klobuchar has some criticism about how she handled and treated her staff in the Senate, but not the same kind of criticism we see of 
Elizabeth Warren, which is concern. You know, I was talking to voters in New Hampshire over the weekend who were telling me that they're worried she's not going to be able to fight President Trump, that she's not going to be able to stand up when he starts calling her names that has to do with her uh, Native American ancestry, and that they want someone who isn't going to come into the fight already a little bruised. Amy Klobuchar doesn't. She has some criticism, but it's criticism that is that she was too tough and she was too mean to people might actually, in a bizarre way, help her more than hurt her. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. They have a little interface and it shows you other dogs that share a portion of your dog's DNA instead of how genetically related your dog is to them. And, you know, my dog turned out to be related to a lot of dogs, including one of these new skeet monastery dogs, which are sort of these very bred to be service dogs. And that was just really, you feel like you're sort of discovering secrets about your dog. Joining us now is Sarah Fallon, deputy web editor at Wired. I love stories about animals and dogs. And I saw your article and right away, this was something I knew I wanted to talk about. It's about DNA testing for your dogs. Our pets, we love them. They're our children. They're our best friends. They know so much about us, but we don't know much about them a lot of times unless you get that certificate that they're AKC certified and things like that. A lot of times people rescue dogs and it's a little murky what they could be. We're making our best guess based off of what they look like, what, you know, what breed they are. Now that genetic testing has gotten a little less expensive, there's a few companies out there that are doing this service for your dogs. And uh, you and another colleague there at Wired tested your two dogs over three different services. And you guys came up with a lot of different results in, in, in some cases. Tell us a little bit about how this is gaining some traction now, these, these uh, DNA testing services. I had this rescue dog, and she's a German Shepherd. She has some leash reactivity issues, and a woman I met who used to train German Shepherds for the Israeli army said, you should get her genetic tested. It will tell you about what she was bred to do, and that will help you figure out how to motivate her and maybe how to fix some of these issues. So I knew I wanted to do a genetic test on her, and I did one real fast, and it came back, and it said, your dog is German Shepherd, and it didn't tell me anything about what kind of line she was from. Was she supposed to be a show dog? Was she supposed to be a a working like sniffer dog, you know, a a personal protection dog? So that sort of left me with this feeling of, oh, I really, I want to know more about this. So I decided that I would try to set up a thing where we were a little more rigorous and kind of methodical about testing a couple dogs and testing a few different kinds of panels and tests that you can do. So I talked to Anna Alexander, who's the Wired Director of Photography, and I knew her dog would be a really great companion to this story because her dog is just this total awesome, cute mix of all kinds of things. So it seemed like it would be interesting to put the two dogs side by side and see what kinds of information you want to know if you have a total mix and what kinds of information you want to know if you have a purebred dog. So for example, breeders um, are using tests like these to genetically test dogs that they want to breed together to see if they can breed dogs together that are less related to each other because a lot of purebred dogs have a lot of inbreeding and stuff. Yeah, and that leads to all the health problems as the dogs look great, but then they have all sorts of other issues that are related specifically to that inbreeding. So it's important to kind of know where they're coming from, where the family lineage comes from, because if you're going to combine them, you can have a bunch of problems later on. 
No, that's exactly right. And even if you just look at their pedigrees and you look at like who their grandparents were, that doesn't tell you nearly as much as, oh, these two dogs have almost the same 16th and 17th chromosomes, so we don't want to breed these dogs together. But maybe one of the siblings does not have the same chromosomal overlap or genetic overlap. So they're really cool for that, too. So you have these sort of two different types of, of use cases. So I wanted to compare those across a couple of different types of tests. Yeah, you guys tried three tests. We'll try to run through them a little quickly. Uh, is Wisdom Panel, DNA My Dog, and Embark DNA Test Kits. Let's start with Wisdom Panel. How much does it cost? And take us through the process and, and kind of the results that you would get. The Wisdom Panel, there's two versions. The Wisdom Panel 4.0 is $85. The Wisdom Panel Health is $150. So for all of these tests, you to collect the DNA, you do some kind of little mouth swab. They have different techniques for doing it, but it's basically a Q-tip of some kind that you stick between their gum and their cheek and you rub it around and you send it back to the company. So there's all variants on that. The wisdom test looks at about 20,000 genetic markers. Some of them are for diseases and some of them are for the breed identification stuff. And the disease stuff can be very specific. You know, you, you can look, you know what a gene looks like, you can scan for it when you run the test and you can see, oh yes, this this dog carries a gene for exercise-induced collapse, or there's a gene that if it's mutated, it causes poor drug processing, so dogs react badly to certain medications. What Wisdom does, which I think is neat, is it gives you the information on those two genetic defects with its basic panel, because those are genetic defects that you can do something about. You know, okay, I can't give them this drug, or I shouldn't exercise my dog too much. If you want a lot more genetic information, then you could do the health panel. And I would say that that one's probably... You would want to do that if you had a purebred dog, but not if you had a mixed dog, because your chances of all these genetic defects are just so much lower if you have a mixed dog. One of the uh, interesting notions that have popped up with genetic testing, especially in humans, is the privacy issues and the things that they actually do with your DNA results. Mm -hmm. This company uh, specifically is doing something interesting with the results from the dogs is that they're using it to create breed-specific dog food under their parent brand or something like that. But it's kind of an interesting notion because different dogs have different ways to eat. You know, a little short uh, smash-faced dog can't eat as uh, effectively as some other dogs. So they make food catered to that and they use all this information for this. That's their sort of marketing strategy with some of these dog foods. And I definitely get it. You know, little dogs have different needs than, than big dogs. It seems a little... Let's put it this way. I can't weigh in on how how much a dog needs a breed specific food or a fetch. <laughs> right. I, I just I don't don't know. But yes, they are using it um, as part of their business model, and they are doing some straight up research. Right, they're collecting all of these different genetic profiles, and maybe they discover, oh, cocker spaniels often carry the gene for this particular trait or disease, and maybe there's something that they can do with that information scientifically. So it's part research and part commercial. How about one of the next ones? Uh, DNA My Dog. You guys said that this one was cheap. It allows you to learn your dog's genetic age, which is pretty good, but the levels of information are pretty basic. This one's very basic. So this, and they're not doing research on the back end. So if you have a mixed breed dog and you just, you want to, you know, get a little bit of a backstory for it, I, you know, this is a, a good test, but it doesn't have a fancy interactive website like the other two. The other two can tell you like, oh, your dog probably has floppy ears. Your dog probably has long legs, which you already knew. Right. Just by looking. <laughs> yeah. But it's still fun to see it because it's sort of like your dog horoscope or something. These guys don't do that. Now, what they do do is they sell their tests very cheap 
cheaply to shelters, and the shelters can run the tests on the dogs. And if you apparently, if you post this dog has been genetic tested and it's these couple breeds on its little cage or its little adoption card, it can really speed up how fast that dog gets adopted yeah. or that's what I mean that that rings true to me in my ear if you are adopting a dog and you know nothing about it other than oh it's cute yeah you might be willing to go for it but a lot of people want to know ahead of time what am I getting myself into and if you know a couple of the breeds you know then you know that oh, there could be these problems there could be that those problems and the age you know testing the age uh, for people that rescue dogs a lot a lot of times they'll yeah. rescue older dogs and they'll want to know how old he is because as they get older things happen yeah exactly and the the telomere length as I understand sort of reflects basically the wear and tear on your body so the dog might be seven but his Telomere age might be five, so you know he's got like some good life left in him. So right. yeah, I, I think that's a sort of neat thing that the other tests don't offer. This one would be good for uh, dogs that are, you know, straight up mutts, things that you have no idea what they are. Let's get a little bit of basic info for them. That's right. And if you had a dog that you pr really pretty much knew what they were, you would be kind of disappointed if you got this one. <laughs> and the last one that you guys tested was Embark Dog DNA Test Kits. This is the most expensive one, but it gives you the most amount of information. So it does the same panel of genetic tests that Wisdom does, all these different genes where if they're mutated, they can cause various issues in different breeds of dogs. They look at more markers than the other tests. They look at 200,000 markers. The accuracy of the results is not just markers. It's that plus the algorithms plus the size of the of the database and how many dogs are in there. But they give you a lot of quizzes to take, which is just fun. Like one of the things Anna did was take a quiz about how often her dog barks. And then you can see a table of the results of what other people say or, you know, oh, how much your dog. I mean, it's just... I, I saw that and I read it in the article and I laughed out loud because I, I had a French bulldog and he was a notorious farter. <laughs> and it's just funny. Just to, he would do it all the time. It was sometimes it was quiet. Sometimes it was loud. So just to kind of uh, gauge it on uh, on uh, kind of the spectrum of a lot of other dogs it would have been kind of fun to do. And Embark also will uh, kind of connect you with maybe cousins or other relatives of these dogs. And people have even organized play dates through this stuff. It's pretty funny. So that's what they told me. And it's pretty neat. I mean, it's and it's kind of the same way that you can connect with other relatives you might have on, on 23andMe. So they have a little interface and it shows you other dogs that share a portion of your dog's DNA and sort of how genetically related your dog is to them. And, you know, my dog turned out to be related to a lot of dogs, including one of these new skeet monastery dogs, which are sort of these very bred to be service dogs. And that was just really, you feel like you're sort of discovering secrets about your dog. That it seems very revelatory, <laughs> yeah. even though you have no idea if that relationship means that that dog is like the parent of my dog or the sibling, or if they're just closely related because a lot of German shepherds are just closely related to each other. But he told, he told me a great story of littermates that had gotten separated by Hurricane Harvey and they were on the site and their owners connected on the site and they got them together. And I just can't even imagine the cuteness of that <laughs> <Right>. situation. <laughs> Yeah, Incredible. I mean, it's just interesting stuff. I'm I, I, my, myself. I'm looking to adopt a dog pretty soon. And this thing is right up my alley because you want to know more about the new pet that you're going to get that you didn't get as a puppy. So you don't know them from stages of infancy, you know, so it's an interesting way to learn more about your new potential pets or ones that you've already had. Sarah Fallon, deputy web editor at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.